It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Doing Good. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert, and I am thrilled to have on the podcast today, Kate Holbrook. Kate is a leading voice in the study of Latter-day Saint women and Latter-day Saint foodways. She is the Academic Collaborations Director at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and she writes, studies, and interprets history full-time. Her major research interests are religion, gender, and food. Kate is a very popular public speaker, and she was voted Harvard College's Teaching Fellow of the Year for her work as head teaching fellow in a course that enrolled nearly 600 students, and she co-edited Global Values 101, a short course based on that class. In 2012, Kate co-organized a conference entitled Women in the LDS Church, Historical and Contemporary Perspectives. She and her co-organizer, Matthew Bowman, have edited a collection of essays that sprang from this concert conference entitled Women and Mormonism, Historical and Contemporary Perspectives. She's published essays and book chapters about Latter-day Saint women in housework, Nation of Islam Muslims, Latter-day Saints and Food, Religion and Sexuality, and, and I'm going to have to talk to you about this, Religious Hunting Rituals. That sounds super <laughs> interesting. <laughs> that sounds very interesting. We'll have to talk about that. Kate grew up at the feet of the Rocky Mountains and is happy to live here again among the historic sites, cultural currents, and food environments where her scholarship has its roots. She has a BA in English and Russian literature from BYU, an MTS from Harvard Divinity School, and a PhD in Religious Studies from Boston University. For her dissertation work on Latter-day Saint and Nation of Islam Foodways, she was the first recipient of the Eccles Fellowship in Mormon Studies at the University of Utah. Amazing. She and her husband, Samuel Brown, are raising three children in Salt Lake City. Kate, you are just incredible, and I just feel so honored and a little less smart after reading that bio <laughs> to be interviewing you. Like, who am I to be interviewing you? So no, no, you're doing terrific work. And that's the bad thing about bios is they I know they it's can create true. divisions. Yeah. It's true. No, but you truly have done some amazing things. So before we kind of jump into the meat of this podcast, I just have to ask you about the religious hunting rituals. How did you even hear about this or begin to study it? What is it? No, you know, I wrote that it's an encyclopedia entry that I wrote 20 years ago when I was a graduate student hungry for opportunities. to. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I did learn about how some some native peoples would really honor the animals especially bears i looked a lot into bear hunting rituals that that they were about to kill and honor the sacrifice of the animal and and use the whole animal and it it was really moving and because i'm so interested in food still yes um, to think about the sacrifice of of life and spirit that goes into the food we eat is something that i've carried with me you know what it really is fascinating my husband and i were able to go to Kenya a few years ago, we went on an African safari and we visited the Maasai Mara tribe and they were telling us about the cows that they, that, that they rever there and they drink the blood of the, of the cows. They use their milk. They drink their blood when they kill them. They have same thing, this whole ceremony surrounding this cow and they use every part. And it is, it's, it's, it's very, 
it's very almost reverent how they sacrifice and, and eat their animals. Like it, it very much is a thank you for what you are offering us. And I mean, it sounds silly, but like the Lion King, like it is like the circle of life. Like yeah. they eat them, they go into the grass and then they eat the grass. And then we, it's like one continual thing. And it, it really is interesting and so sweet and special learning about the reverence that they have for animals and the life that they give us and, and the sustenance that they give us. So that's, and, and yeah. Really meaningful to be aware of those cycles. Yes. Instead of just thinking about you buy something shrink wrapped in a place right. that has fluorescent lighting, <laughs> you know, you exactly. exactly. And my sister has chickens and even gathering the eggs, it's like, she's like, it, every time I'm just like, thank you. Thank <laughs> you for giving us this. Like, and she takes care of them. She watches them. She, you know, when they're nesting and doing all their things and, and if they're sick or whatever, she's like, I like feel for these chickens that are giving us food. And I truly am so grateful for them. So it really does connect you when you see the live animal or you hear about it instead of, like you said, going to the grocery store and grabbing your pound of hamburger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so different. So I, I thought that was so interesting and I had to ask you about it. So Kate, you were recently, let's see, how many years ago? Is it two years that you were, you did a face-to-face -face event? Was it two years ago? Was it COVID time? You know, it was before, it was maybe a year before COVID. I, okay. I have trouble. COVID has really interrupted my sense of time. It's like warped everything. I'm like, everything was like pre-COVID and post and that was its own little world. And it's hard to remember, but it was incredible. And, and you were at, was it the Nauvoo temple? Yes. Or that, that you, that you spoke at and it was an incredible event. And you just, you talked about women's history in the church. So I, I would first like to ask you, what made you passionate about women's history in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint? What got you interested in, in how women have evolved throughout the years of being members of the church? You know, my, my interest first started in not with church women, but just women in general. I'm interested in the work, and I always have been, the work women do, the way women structure their lives, women's ability to affect change, uh, the challenges women face. And I'm also very interested in religion and always have been, especially where it overlaps with those same issues. And when my husband and I decided to move to Utah, at that point, I was just getting ready to write my dissertation. And I decided to study Latter-day Saint women in a more focused way. I hadn't, because that's my tradition and it's so dear to me, I had thought not to study Latter-day Saint women. I, I had worried that somehow that would influence my testimony in a negative way. People yes. ask me a lot about this too, as you know, what, what challenges to your testimony is it to be a historian? But I, I have found it, um, it hasn't challenged my testimony. It's, an, it's enriched my testimony, but I didn't know that that would be the outcome before I started doing it. So then what differences, because obviously learning about women throughout the world, and we know that there's been a history of us feeling and being suppressed and, and not having equal rights. So I'm sure that you thought, okay, well, if I go into the church and many would argue, well, think about polygamy and think about all these things, like it's going to be the same, but you said it wasn't. So how, how did you find that it was different learning about how women were treated or or respected in the church versus women that you learned about who were not? 
Well, I, I know that's kind of a broad question. <laughs> I'll do my best, Carmen. <laughs> I, 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 it's just important to think that women everywhere throughout time have had, have had, have been treated as second class yes. citizens. So I, I didn't ever, I don't see anything in church history. In fact, the opposite of, of women being treated worse than they were in the broader society. So I, and before when I, when I was nervous, before I started studying Latter-day Saint women, I wasn't nervous about any one particular thing. It was just a sense I had, just a, a worry. But but then the, you know, the worry was unfounded. So w- what I found is that the deeper I look into something, the more I understand it. It's not problematic. And I don't mean that it's, you know, I don't mean that I love plural marriage and love, the, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. But but I understand now, having studied that, I understand what it was like for women to choose it and the meaning that they attributed to it, the spiritual experiences that they attributed to it, the disappointment that many of them felt when it ended. Not every woman participating in plural marriage had a positive experience, but but I see what women did with that particular practice at a particular time in a particular place. And I see that, that they, in partnership with God, created a lot of meaning and, and beauty out of it, despite the fact that it was also really difficult for them. So I, I really just think if, if something's bothering you, it makes sense to really study it. But you have to you have to go to the primary sources. Like yes. Don't study it by Googling it, <laughs> reading right. what Mr. Jones on Reddit says about it. That's one of the reasons we we published the book, The First 50 Years of Relief Society, because it's just a collection of primary sources. And we add footnotes and introductions to try to help people fill in some context. But you get to interact with this document, whether it's a newspaper article or meeting minutes or a letter and and you you get to just feel without an intermediary the person who created that document and how they felt and what they thought and and that i, I mean that's incredible for for me and i know i'm not alone it's in, in, incredibly meaningful and it and it makes me feel really tied to the women who came before me yes and and knowing how devoted they were to this church and the vision of the potential of this church in then increases my own sense of, of devotion and hope. Well, and it's true that because we didn't live in that era, it's hard to put ourselves there. And I think that's, that has been a challenge for many women and for myself to, to kind of comprehend how could that have been? You know, imagining my husband having multiple wives now, I can't think. It, oh, it's it, excruciating. It is. Yeah. And and I've, of course, in the Book of Mormon, we have the scripture that said, if Heavenly Father needs to raise up seed, that's what he'll do. And from the early church, I mean, so many women were going across the plains and their men were, were gone or killed or fighting in the Mormon battalion and, and being massacred. And so I can see Heavenly Father doing that as a protection 
for his daughters who he loves so much to have a home, have a place to raise their children and be taken care of. And so it, it you can see, but without having lived in that world and in that time frame, it's difficult to fully judge. And I think what you said is is so wise to study it and read from the source instead of what people have said about it. My mama was said, you wouldn't go to a heart surgeon and get dental advice. Right. <laughs> and so she's like, why would you go online and read what people that haven't lived there that don't know have to say about it? Like, and, and I'm so grateful that we have so many resources, journal entries, essays written, I mean, about this from women themselves that have lived it. So so you mentioned that there were women that felt like it was a blessing. Do you feel like that was more their devotion to the gospel? Or do you truly feel like polygamy in and of itself was a blessing to them? Or they were more willing to say, I don't know why, like Nephi said, I don't know the meaning of all things, but I know Heavenly Father loves his children. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I know that Heavenly Father loves me. Do you feel like it was more their devotion to the church or the practice itself that that they believed in? You know, I, I can't answer. I mean, what they said was the practice itself, but but you can't really separate the practice from the church because if they had not been in the church, there's no way they, these were, you know, a lot of these women were, were educated and yes, they, they, they knew their own minds. They were willing to make hard decisions, even to join the church. They, they, they were not, they were real leaders. Those early saints were real leaders and willing to take risks. And, and, and they I just can't imagine that they would have, I, I know they wouldn't have accepted plural marriage if it, if it had been separate from the church, because the whole reason. That's it, true. It was because it was about this church that they yes. loved and believed in and were willing to, to sacrifice for. And, and I think it's really important to look at the trajectory. Most of the, so the most difficult part of plural marriage, I think, is the part in Nauvoo, because at that stage, they were trying to really figure it out. And they were trying to keep things secret while they figured it out. And yes. secret is always a recipe for disaster and pain. Right. But nonetheless, those women who participated, the majority of the women who participated in plural marriage, even in Nauvoo, ended up being leaders of the church later in Salt Lake City and being devout until the day they died. And and that I think is really important that if this experience had made them feel separate from God, made them feel abused in some way, they wouldn't have gone on to end up, you know, being devout until the end of their lives and and even being leaders in the church. So Right. They would have ran the other way. They would have left. Yeah. They wouldn't have stayed. Yeah. And that is a really important point to make. So what what would you say to women now in 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 modern times who are are struggling with that? Not just the you know, historical polygamy, but men that are able to be sealed to more than one woman and that are really struggling with, well, what, what is this going to look like in eternity? And why do I not get a choice? And, and how, what say do I have? I know that there are women that have struggled with this and have thought about, well, if the church no longer practices it, how come men can still be sealed to more than one woman? What do you think? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's tough. I think, I think if, when there's something that 
is difficult. It's an invitation to pray and to fast and to, and to see if there's anything that you can do to make change. And that, that particular topic is something that only the first presidency can, can change, but everybody can pray about. Right. And, and I can't think, I don't know why it hasn't changed yet, I, but, but, but I do know that God listens to prayers and I do know it's something that we can pray about. And I do believe that prayers are powerful. Absolutely. Yes. I, I also think that plural marriage is in a way, so you, you referenced Jacob when Jacob says, this practice of plural marriage is only okay if it's done in a certain way and only if God commands it and it's yes. for a specific time. Yes. And the only exception to that is what you alluded to with uh, de death when people die. Because with divorce, at least you're, it, I, I really just believe the ceilings are going to work out <laughs> after this life. That We live in a fallen world and divorce is part of that fallen world and after this life th things will work will work out but I mean my my own my dad left when I was six weeks old and my mom doesn't want to be <laughs> she she was in her 70s when she changed her last name back to her maiden name because wow. she didn't want my dad's name on her tombstone so that like <laughs> She wow. want to be sealed to him, and I. Yes. I just feel completely comfortable that she's she's not. We, we do have choice, and that she agency is an eternal principle. It's the principle upon which this earth is founded, and she will have choice, and we have choice. But it's hard because we don't know what the afterlife will look like, right? And it's hard because when people die, what do you do? That was it. That was even a question for Hiram Smith. His first wife that he loved so much had died and he even worried about marrying again for time and what that would mean for her. I mean, these, that's just a human problem that we can't get around and it's not, it's not the fault of, I mean, church tries to make it better, but the, it's, it's just something that I think we have to wait until the next, next life to work out. Well, and I think it's important what you said is that Heavenly Father wants us to talk to him. I mean, he multiple times throughout the scriptures, ask and you'll receive, seek and you shall find, knock, ask, seek, knock. And he wants us to ask questions and, and to learn. So that gets a little tricky when we are seeking personal revelation and to receive answers. And yet maybe there's dissonance with what has been revealed with, with the church or the first presidency or the apostles. So I... I personally am the type where if if the prophet says something, it's it doesn't matter, you do it because mm -hmm. I, I feel like he's so much smarter and wiser. And I do believe that he speaks for our Father in heaven, that he's a mouthpiece. And so even if I'm like, I do, if he said, you need to carry a piece of pizza in your hand for the rest of your life, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> that sounds so weird. But I would, and I, I would do it. I'm just, I'm, but I know that, that sometimes that's a struggle too for people to say, but why, but why? And, and, and there's maybe, I don't know if trend is the right word, but there's, there's right now, there's maybe some people are wondering 
what if I receive something and an answer that is different than what is revealed by the first presidency or, or, or by the prophet? What if I was, and I, I believe I received my own answer that is different than what the prophet has said. And to that, I would say, well, then go pray again. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's, I know, and that's mean because I'm like, no, but, but right now, but how do you say, okay, well, what about personal revelation and asking heavenly father, okay, why this polygamy and how, and then, and then following the prophet, would they ever be in dissonance with each other? Or do you feel like when we truly are seeking to know that they will be in harmony with the teachings that have been revealed past and present with the prophets. There's having revelation for yourself. And then there's revelation for the whole church. And I do believe that if the prophet asks us to do something, if the prophet asked me to go on a mission, I believe that when I prayed, I, I would be able to feel reassurance from the spirit and from God that this was the right thing. I, I do think that those would be in harmony if there's a practice that happens that I feel like I don't know, like if there's some something that some official church position that I don't fully understand, I don't think that I have the authority. I know I clearly don't have the authority to, to overturn it. But what I do have control over is praying for understanding and for patience and for humility and for the ability to do good the best I can around that issue. And in particular, with the subject of, of polygamy, you know, if a woman was praying, well, I, her husband passed away and she got remarried, but she can't get sealed to this man unless she breaks her ceiling with her sweet husband that she loves so much that passed away. And so that, those kinds of things, like, well, what if I got, uh, you know, I can't get sealed to him, but I feel like I should be. And I mean, those are tough questions to be asking. And especially, you know, church policy right now, a, a woman cannot be sealed to more than one man if they're, if she's alive and they're both living. And But a man can, if she were to have died, he could get sealed to another woman. And so those are difficult things that I think women in the church are like, well, wait a minute, if, if we are truly equal and things are truly heavenly father views us as is just as valued as men why this and and those are those are difficult and i don't expect you to know the answer to that but those are difficult things that i think women in the church have thought about and are and are dealing with they they are really tricky and i i don't have an answer but i know sometimes when we're looking at something really closely it helps to zoom out and to take a step back and what else what else goes on in this church besides that one issue about not being able to be sealed to two men when a man can be sealed to two women? And what else is that? Well, it's the way that this church facilitates my relationship with God in a way that no other, and I love other religions and study them and they enrich my spiritual life, but I've never seen anything facilitate For me, the church is it. For me, the church really does this so beautifully. What else? The church has taught has taught me how to speak publicly. Has taught me how to pray. Has taught me how to approach scriptures and in a way that I feel comfortable with them and I feel that they're my friend and I feel I can receive guidance from them. The church has taught me how to organize. The church has given me a community that I give to and receive from. 
that, you know, I can go on and on and on. And, and so sometimes it's important when you're in a place like that, that's, that's hard and you feel stuck both. I think you, you pray and listen and you step back and say, wow, this, there's so much here. There's so much that that's beautiful. Make sure I don't lose sight of that. But Elder Holland said, and I think it's useful to think with doubt your doubts, but, but we can also think of that in a more positive way, like celebrate your faith yes celebrate those things that that enrich your life that that bring you close to god and bring the spirit into your life it's true and i love that you mentioned the community that the church brings i have four boys two of them are in young men's now and i am so grateful for the community of people that are helping me teach and raise my boys. And I was talking to my husband about this the other night. And I said, where else do you get a group of people, several hundred people that are praying for your child, mm -hmm. that are rooting for your child, that are teaching them, that, that text them, that reach out to them. We missed you. How are you doing? We'd love to see you at Young Men's or, you know, tell us about sharing their testimony with each other and sharing their struggles and, and then actively praying for them by name. I just think that's one of the most beautiful things about the church is that it truly makes you feel like you have a community of brothers and sisters that are cheering you on and walking with you arm in arm into the next life. Oh, I, I value it so much. I thank you for saying that in such beautiful ways. I also think you have access to more forms of men and women than you do in regular life. And I'm thinking about men crying on the stand and how valuable <laughs> that is to me to, to see men make themselves publicly vulnerable, which is something I don't see outside of church. True. And the, and the other is women who haven't had, who aren't already in the public eye or who haven't had professional success. To, you get to see them on the stand too and learn from them. And, and that's one thing that the church makes visible, those wonderful women and their wisdom in a way that you you don't get to see outside of church life as much. That is so true. And and women that, like you said, would possibly never get up to do public speaking, that would never want to be in front of people or that the church provides them with opportunities to grow in all areas of their life and working with small children, working with youth, being secretaries. I mean... It's not just serving in the church religiously, but skills that help enrich their lives as well. Yeah. And that, and that certain, I, I'm a parent also, and that have, and they, those, those women have enriched me and, and what they've given to my children and to my husband, I can't, I can't even put into words. Oh yeah. Yes. Just it, it really is a beautiful place to be. And, and I think that that's very wise of you to say that to take a step back and look at the church as a whole. And, and it kind of goes back to, do you have a testimony? Like, is the Book of Mormon true? Do you believe in Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father? Okay, go back to that and then build upon that. And sometimes I have to even do that. Like, I do not understand this and why. And then, okay, let's go back. Do I believe? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, then then the rest, hopefully, and we know it will someday will, will work itself out. But sometimes that's hard too. the waiting. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
<laughs> the waiting to work itself out, it can, can be difficult. So what would you say, Kate, to women who are maybe in that waiting period? What have you done to strengthen your faith when when it's felt fragile or, or, or when you've gone through a difficult time in your life? What has what has sustained you in we're reading, of course, about the children of Israel right now and wandering 40 years in the desert. I mean, talk about waiting. They had a long time to perfect themselves before they were ready to leave the desert. But what would you say to, to women who are in that period? And what have you done to strengthen your faith when you've been waiting on the Lord for answers or opportunities or whatever? There's so many different, so many different forms in which you can wait upon the Lord that, that it's a little bit of an overwhelming question. <laughs> and you could even just one experience of something that, that has helped you. I, I, the one thing that I often think of is, is service because when, when we did that face to face, we received a lot of questions from young people all, all over the world, majority United States, but there were questions from all over the world. Wow. And some of them, some, just a few, but they stuck with me because there was pain in the M and I, I always want to help. Yes. Uh, would say things like, you know, I read my scriptures, I pray, I go to church and I just am not feeling it. What, what advice do you have for me? And, and the few times that that question came up, it never said I serve. And I always thought, wow, when we follow Jesus, we're serving like that. That's, that's crucial to get out of ourselves and if, if it's possible at all and, and when some you know there are some health challenges that keep people from being able to serve in a in a physical way but but I've seen people still write a card or make a phone call or send a text even in the midst of those challenges I, my colleague Jenny Reeder was a Relief Society president while she was going through chemotherapy for leukemia and oh my she just got it to work and she feels like that saved her that was a real lifeline for her so even so I don't I don't want to I don't want it to look like I'm privileging healthy bodies <laughs> when no. when I talk about how how valuable service can be right um, it, there there is a limit but my goodness I, I think that is that is a real way to to help zoom out and to feel God close to you, regardless of, of what kind of a challenge you're facing. So let me ask you this. I know women as a whole, we like, I feel like, and this is me being grumpy. Sometimes I feel like all I do is serve Kate all day long. I have four <laughs> boys and I get up at six and I'm feeding them. I'm cleaning up after them. I'm finding their schoolwork. I'm running them to activities and then I'm serving in my young women's and then I'm feeding them dinner. And I'm so I feel like, oh man, all I do is serve. And so, but are you, are you specifically talking about, I mean, I know you can serve in any way and in any capacity, but what if you feel like that's all I do? How how else can I serve? I feel like I'm I'm almost running myself ragged with serving others. But is it maybe my attitude? Well, I don't know. It sounds like you're doing a lot of service, Carmen. <laughs> no, <laughs> this, is, this is hypothetical. This is not how I really feel. <laughs> Asking for a friend. <laughs> Certainly different life stages have different different challenges and, and different opportunities. And, and it, 
it sounds like that life stage and that situation is full of service. And maybe actually what needs to happen is to have 30 to 60 minutes scheduled a day of doing something that whoever it is loves, whether, you know, for me, that's reading fiction, but for what other people, calligraphy or what, you know, what, (laughs) whatever it is, whatever it is. Taking time Um, to recharge. It it is, it is true though. And on my days where I feel like I am most crazy and most exhausted, I had a friend that I found out that they had COVID and, and they're good friends of ours. And, and I had a thought to bring them dinner. And I was like, are you kidding me? There's no way. I have a baseball game. I have a soccer game. I have an orchestra concert. I have a mountain bike practice. Like, how would I do that? But but I did. And, and, and it is interesting how Heavenly Father magnifies your time and abilities when you look outside of yourself. And yes, mothers serve all day long. But even looking outside of your home to those around you, when I, I love Henry B. Eyring, he said, service will rarely be convenient. It'll rarely come at the perfect time. It's usually, you usually will not have time for it. Like when people need you, it's never a convenient, like, oh, perfect. I just had three hours where I was doing nothing and I have time to do that. Oftentimes it's what, there's no way I can help someone. But when, when you take that time and you drop everything and you do, I find that I find the time and my ability is magnified. My attitude changes. Maybe my boys don't fight as much at home. Maybe Heavenly Father sends unseen angels to kind of calm them down so they're not as wild and crazy while I'm doing things. And so I I do have a testimony of service and that Heavenly Father helps us help others. Absolutely. What I heard you describing was the power of heaven coming into your life and making the impossible possible. Yes. And I have such a strong testimony. I've seen that happen in my own life over and over again and in the lives of many other people. It's it's true. And 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 that's a beautiful way of saying it that the the power of heaven does and it's and it's intoxicating. It's almost like, "Oh, I I, I want to do that more. I love that feeling." And and it's fun when your kids are involved too when you do things for others and they feel that way. They feel this, this happy, warm excitement from, from doing something nice to others. I have, I just have this, I always think about little times when I've done something in my neighborhood, whether it was just stop by and say hello to someone, or if I love to bake. And, and so if I've taken some cookies and dropped them at a couple of houses and it, Ideally, my kids don't really go with me on these errands very much anymore, although sometimes they do, but my husband will and either walking home alone or walking home with him and just feeling a lightness in my heart. And, and it's, it's especially visible when, when there wasn't lightness in my heart, when I was weighed down by something. Yes. And just this one small act really brings a lightness to me. I breathe easier and I feel I, I, my mind feels easier. And, and when I say lightness, I mean both ease and I mean a brightness like light Yes, with me and it's yes. just so simple and it would be easy to miss, but it's a, it's a real thing. It is real. And I, and I would say it often comes after, after the fact, like sometimes during, even during making dinner or during doing something, it's uh, Satan 
is very real and and will try to thwart any act of goodness and he try to stop you and and i i I often find that I'm like, this is, I, I, I won't have an ingredient for something or something will inevitably go wrong <laughs> and I'm grumpy. But after, it's the after that you feel that lightness and you're like, oh, that was worth it. And so for those listening, I would say, do it, do it for the after. Sometimes the during is really hard, yeah. but do it for that feeling after because it will come and it is worth it. Stick with it. Yeah. You know, Stick with it. Another thing I've been thinking of while we've been talking is since I write for a living and I've learned from writing teachers that when you come across something and you're not sure what the answer is, you feel stumped, you feel stuck, you don't know how to write about it or talk about it. That's actually an opportunity. That means you're going to, you're going to push the conversation forward. That means you have a real contribution to make because there's something that's not obvious and and not already fully understood here. Oh, interesting. the, The hard thing is an opportunity to really do some good. And I think we can think about that the same way in our in what we've been talking about in in service certainly that that hard thing that hard moment it can be a signal oh this is going to be meaningful. I love that. And and in our conversation t- talking about women's contribution that if we're like, well, wait a minute, I, I wonder about this, or this doesn't, I, I wonder if there's something more here that maybe that means that our voice is needed and that we will come up with ideas or solutions or inspiration to push, to push a subject forward or, or help move something along that maybe wasn't thought of before. Our voices are so needed. And I know for some people it doesn't sink in, like they hear that over a general conference pu- pulpit and it for, it doesn't penetrate to them. Maybe that's another opportunity for prayer, for the spirit to help that penetrate. I know at the local level, I've been really blessed to to work with leaders, ward leaders, you know, bishops and elders, quorum presidents that that really were open and wanted to hear what the women in the room had to say. And so I know that's a real blessing that I've had and that not everybody has that. But I also know it's it's real that there are a lot of a lot of men in authoritative positions that are really doing their best work to listen to draw women's words out and to and to honor them and i see i get to see since i work at the at church headquarters i get to see that happen in the councils there and in in different meetings and it's there's a real there's there's not perfection on this fallen world again but there's real progress and there's a real clarity of vision that this matters and that it's that it's something that men and women and and especially men need need to work on this listening to women making them heard making them visible yes and i i think it is so so neat that you get to have this sort of inside you worked working up at church headquarters of of how how men are trying to listen to and incorporate women's ideas and and voices and and it it is comforting to hear you say that they they do know how we feel and they are concerned about making us feel like we are an equal equal partnership in in the church and that we are being heard and and we are visible and because as a woman i 
I love general conference and I love listening to the apostles and prophets talk, but I love hearing women speak and because women, they represent me. And so they know things that, that I'm going through as, as only another woman could and not a man couldn't understand or, or, or still receive the exact right revelation or inspiration that I need. But there's women just get other women. And so I, I, I would love to see that more in the church is, is women being represented in a more visible way and, and being able to learn from the beautiful, amazing, wise women leaders that we do have in the General Relief Society and young women in primary presidencies. I, I feel like they have so much to offer us and I'm excited to learn more from them. I, I also find it really meaningful to be able to hear from women in those conferences. Absolutely. Yes. So Kate, will you just tell us in closing what you hope your work as, as a historian and particularly with, with a focus on women, and this is going to be a really big question too, so you can answer it however you want, <laughs> but how do you hope that you have done good in the lives of those around you? And, and how do you hope to continue your incredible work of, of doing good in the future? I hope that my professional work has made sources available to women and men to help them better understand the value of women and better understand how to collaborate effectively so that both women and men working together so that there's a unity in that, so that there's real mutual respect and, and the the power of unity and diversity happening at the same time. And at the same time, at the same time, I often think that my, my legacy, I would be happy if my legacy were a recipe. I mean, I have a cooking blog. I mean this literally. (laughs) Tell us, tell us the name of your cooking blog. It's called the away cafe, the away cafe. So, so easy to make that you can feel like you're on vacation uh, when you make it, even if you're not, or it's easy to make on vacation. But, but, but my point is that food is a concrete thing and it's something that I love, which is important that it's a concrete way to serve, not just to serve, but to give people an experience, a physical, a physical ease and a physical pleasure. And if, if something, you know, if through the generations, people get to feel a little better at the end of a hard day because they eat the chocolate chip oatmeal cookie bars, <laughs> that I'm happy with that. They don't have to know it was my recipe, but it's something yep. that I have contributed to people's everyday lives that can ease a little bit of everyday suffering. I love that you brought up food. Baking is 100% my love language too. <laughs> and if my boys have had a hard day, they'll be like, mom, will you make cookies tonight? And that's like our thing. I, I, chocolate chip cookies. And I dare say I have perfected a recipe oh, and they are amazing. And it's, it's absolutely what my boys turn to for comfort. In fact, my husband decided to make them the other night and he made this most beautiful. I usually make them. So this is rare that he does. And uh-huh. he made the most beautiful, like 
slightly crunchy, but soft, gooey in the middle, puffy cookies. And they were on the counter all hot. And he said, I'm going to run to the grocery store. We don't have milk. We changed the puppy. I, for those who are listening, I have a puppy plantation at my house right now. I have 14 (laughs) dogs at my house. My, my girl, honey had 14 puppies. So we're changing the puppy pads because they poop constantly and we come out to eat these cookies and they're gone. And only one of my boys was out in the kitchen. I'm like, and, and then he was in the bath. So I go into the bathroom I'm like, Beckham, did you eat all the cookies? And he said, no, I had one. I'm like, well, dad made 12 and they're gone. Our dog, honey, jumped up on the counter and ate every single cookie. And, and, my, and we only knew that because there, there was dog hairs on the napkin and it was wet. And she came into the room licking her lips and there was chocolate on her face. And she – we all started crying <laughs> and it's the dumbest thing. And my husband got home and he made another batch and it was oh, fine. But we were like, that was all we were looking for. Like it was the hardest day. And my husband makes these cookies. He's like, they're on the counter. And I'm like, Oh, we'll be right in. And then my dog's like, perfect. They're all <laughs> away. And she ate him so fast and we were so mad, but that, and, and then he like, again, he made some more and it was fine. But that honestly, making something for someone else. I think you put, you put your, your love into baking. It's like a, it's like a little bit of your spirit. Mm -hmm. I I really feel like things taste different and affect us differently when they are made with love Mm -hmm. and, and caring. Like it's, it's like you do, you like infuse a little bit of yourself into it. And it really, you have the physical experience and the emotional experience and People talk about emotional eating. I'm like, but there is something very sweet and emotional that connects us to food and experiences that blesses our lives. And it's true. It really is. It really is. And I can't wait to check out your blog, The Away Cafe, for some new, amazing, delicious recipes to make for my family. How fun. Do you do you make homemade meals on a regular basis or is it kind of a special occasion? No regular basis, but good meal a week. And then <laughs> and then the spaghetti and then the grilled peas and then the French toast. Yeah. <laughs> it's all yeah. homemade, but yeah, various oh, waffles. I love those. And you can make those in advance and they're chewy and hearty. So I think, you know, if we put Greek yogurt on them, that adds protein. Oh, yum. Oh, that sounds so good. Well, I love it. Kate, I am so grateful for you for taking the time to come on the podcast today and to share your insights and wisdom with us and to just be a voice of hope for women in the church. I love that you said my testimony has been strengthened more from learning about the history of women in the church and that this really is a place for us and for all people. And and that does give us a lot of hope and, and excitement to look forward to as women. So thank you for all the good that you are doing. Thanks so much, Carmen. It's, it's been great to be here. 